right, Tim, thank you for uh, being here on what I think is probably legitimately going to be your last week before Mark ah, comes back. Bummer, 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 but, bummer. Uh, but uh, in any case, uh, we'll, we'll really rip Mark next week about all of his romantic travails uh, <laughs> as we, uh, we lead into the Oscars. Uh, Tim, we are, we are now days away from our, uh, our Oscar show, our KPCC Oscar show. Big so show I wanna... on the 19th. On the 19th, we will record live at the Ace Theater in uh, the Ace Hotel, downtown Los Angeles, 1 p.m. You can go to scpr.org, or uh, I guess you could probably even go to the Ace Hotel site. I don't even know what that is. scpr.org is yeah. where I would recommend uh, the live Film Week Oscar show. Uh, on the 19th, 1 p.m., Ace Theater, downtown L.A., and then that uh, winds up being live at 11 a.m., or well, being the, the broadcast time. It's not live, but the actual broadcast show is uh, 11 a.m. on the 24th, Friday, uh, two days before the Academy Awards. Yes, And yes, yes. Um, that'll be really interesting. So, uh, anyway, I'll... Uh, Mark will be back soon. We'll find out if uh, if he is, in fact, uh, on his way to... Uh, to Marital bliss, or or <laughs> some kind of disastrous, uh, who knows what? It's gonna have to talk. You know, it's a, it's, a, it's a global relationship. Yeah. Those things are tough. You, you, you know what? You and I haven't really talked about hmm. regarding the Academy Awards. Yeah, right. Um, what what are you thinking right now? As I look at the first of all, generally speaking, I'm really happy about the nominations this year across the board. Yeah, generally speaking, I could I could poke at any one thing. Here or there, I could fill in that tenth slot, sure, et cetera, I, et cetera. But I'm, but I'm, I'm okay about this in terms relevant to me, uh, and 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 just sort of, you know, Hollywood cinematic good movies being nominated terms. I, I, I am very happy with most of the nominations this year. I'm less happy with some of the films. I think some of the films could have been better. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, last week we talked about loving. I wanted that to be better. Um, you know, I, I like Manchester by the Sea a lot. Feel it could have been a tad better. Mm-hmm. So you know, uh, Moonlight I like an awful lot. I have a, a few problems with the final third. I mean, these are all films that I really like, but I wanted to love. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are only a few films that I love. I'm disappointed Sing Street didn't get any nominations, but it, it wasn't really uh, heavily lobbied for. You know. Yeah. So, um, but on balance, I'm 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 happy, and I'm particularly happy because La La Land is one of my favorite films of the past 26 years. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I and truly it, love it. It and Moonlight are the strong favorites. They are, with Manchester probably <laughs> kind of uh, bringing up the rear. Those are really the only three. I think Manchester's out of the running. Right. Uh, for screenplay too, you think Lonergan has a shot? Uh, Lonergan might only have a shot for screenplay because uh, the playwright has, but that might be his only shot. Yeah, certainly not best director. You think? Uh, you think best actor is going to go Denzel? Uh, you you know is his he was to a dar- lose. It, he was the darling is, of the Golden Globe and of the uh, Screen Actors Guild. Here, here's what I find really really interesting. Uh, Denzel, you know, people forget it's not just about doing. The work. It's about doing the awards season yeah. as well. And you have to be a good citizen. And people forget, you know, the, the, the Academy Awards don't honor the best. They honor the most popular, right? They to a certain do. extent, yeah. It is, I, I've said this many times, the Academy Awards are a snapshot of what the elite professionals of the business value at a particular given point in time. I don't think there's anybody in their right mind that really thinks that Rocky is a better movie than All the President's <laughs> Men. Right, the ones, yeah. I don't think anybody really, really believes that John Wayne in True Grit is a, a legendary performance that is better than John Voight or Dustin Hoffman in Midnight Cowboy. Yeah. Nobody believes these things. Um, is Ordinary People better than than Raging Bull or yeah. The Elephant Man? Yeah. No. 
You know, so uh, is is Titanic a better movie than L.A. Confidential? No, we know this, but we un- but it, it gives us an eye into what people are motivated by at a given point in time. In two thousand and one, Russell Crowe was so far ahead, the odds-on favorite to win back-to-back Best Actors, to be the third actor ever to do it after Spencer Tracy and Tom Hanks. He had won for Gladiator. He was going to win for Beautiful Mind because A Beautiful Mind was going to be Best Picture. And why would you not give Best Picture to the and Best Actor? It's just it was his until he threw a phone mm. at a guy at a hotel. Yeah. He threw a phone at the freaking concierge at a hotel because he he wasn't able to hold the connection to his wife or something. Mm. Come on, dude! Yeah. In that moment, Russell Crowe, uh, uh, people are scratching his name out on their ballot, and they're saying, you know what? Denzel's a really good citizen. Yeah. It's a great performance. It's a performance in a, in a film. It's, it's a non-racial performance. It's, he's it's making di- our industry look good. He's making us look good. He's a good citizen. He, he's wonderful on the red carpet. He's a good father, a good husband. He's a role model. I like Denzel, and that's a great performance. King Kong ain't got nothing on me. Training day. Yeah. And Denzel got the Oscar. This is similar. He's great in Fences, and we have to say, if he wins for Fences, it's going to be as a producer and a, and a director as well, because mm. that's his baby, the whole movie. Um, but that whole Casey Affleck sexual assault thing. Yeah, see, that's a thing. That's that, a thing that is that is that's, that's weighing across not just on Casey because you know, obviously it weighs. But, on, but the, Casey the, 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 the culture in Casey, general. But it's all, it, it, yeah, it speaks to yeah. it in general. Particularly, you know, when we have you know uh, everything vis-a-vis you know Nat Turner and Nate Parker and, and the and, and, and the and the, the Trump recording and everything that sort of I mean it got into it got into the air mm. that that subject and sexual assault. Suddenly got on everyone's so mind. So it might be a matter of Hollywood wanting uh, to reward us things we can be proud of. Yeah, at writ large as an industry. Now that that's where I think Barry Jenkins and Moonlight comes swooping in. Though. It's a, uh, it's a possible upset. Look, I, I, I I'll, I'll say it here. I think Barry Jenkins is going to win for director. I think he is. You think? I think he is. I've been watching Barry Jenkins. You and I watch it yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, all year. I've been watching that young man walk up on these stages and make these really, really eloquent, eloquent graceful speeches, mm-hmm. standing there being all handsome and black and gay. <laughs> and, and, and America looks at him. And this movie, this movie about a young gay urban man embraced not just by Hollywood, like something like Tangerine Rings or something last year, yeah. but no, the nation has embraced In the Midwest, where my mother is, yeah. they are going to see this movie, along with hidden figures because and a few it, other things. Because yeah. it transcends all of all the things of that. that it appears yeah. to be about. It is, it is, it, it's ultimately, you know, I, when I taught film history, I, I emphasized every film has a text, a subtext, and a context. And the filmmaker controls the text and the subtext, but the culture controls the context. And the obvious example that I always pulled it, pulled out was Rocky. Okay, Rocky, what's it about? It's about a you know a guy who's you know trying to just not he's trying to win a you know if he can if he can just hold his own in the big fight he will feel like he won. Yeah. What's it really about? What's the subtext? Well, the subtext is is a guy who's trying to prove to the woman he loves that he's he's deserving of her love. Mm. It's a romance. It's not really about a boxer. It's about a, about a schlub who, who loves a girl. What's the context? Well, the context is 1976. You yeah. know, the, the the bicentennial year. America. Rocky is a surrogate for America. The underdog. The, the the little the 13 colonies that you know held their own. That's what it is. But you couldn't control that. Rocky in 1987 would not have been the same movie that it was in 76. 
And I think with Moonlight, th there's a similar thing going on. You, the fact that it arrives at a point in time when there is this, di this diversity conversation, not something that Barry Jenkins could control, but it's, a, it. but it's a right place, right time yeah. thing. But the subtext and of the... And right content. Yes. But the, the subtext of that film has nothing to do with race, has nothing to do with sexual orientation. It has everything to do with something that everyone identifies with, which is growing up under really bad circumstances yeah. and trying to find who you are, trying to, 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 to rise above your circumstances. It's the human thing. It is. Uh, uh, and, and that's what the film is about. It's the human thing. And, and there we have uh, this whole sort of big na national embracing of yeah. it. And I think that that is... Particularly in the context of Hollywood, you know, and, and the, the the academy, and we much say the, the new academy, yeah. big old class of new people came into yeah. the academy, all kinds of young people and foreign people and brown people and yeah. women came into the academy. I think in the, in those terms, the, the whole academy is going to look over there and say, let's associate ourselves with that guy. They may. <laughs> they may. They, I, they, I, they'll I, never be able to get us again. I agree. It's it's definitely it's definitely a two horse race. Yeah. It's a two horse race. I but mean, I think it, those are the two horses. La La Land, uh, by my count, is likely to win uh, eight, possibly nine awards. I don't yeah. think it's going to win more than nine, but uh, I mean that would just be you know legendary status. Only only uh, three films have ever won more than nine. Yeah. Uh, and only only two other films have ever won nine. A bunch have won eight, but uh, I, I see it getting eight or nine. The best director will be tough for Chazelle, uh, mostly because he's young. Yeah. And 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 Hollywood looks at young directors. But he won the DGA award. He did. He did. And which is which is portends. It portends. Yeah. I know. Yeah, it does. Portends. But that's not always uh, no, a harbinger. Not always. Yeah. Not always. Not always. And there are just a few other voters. You know. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and Hollywood looks at young uh, people and say, you know, we'll give you one later. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Relax. Let the old that's man true. take the stage. Yeah. Uh, uh, and uh, they do that. You know. Yeah. We, uh, so yeah. interesting. Anyway, uh, we hadn't had a chance to talk about that. Yeah. I'm glad we did. Very good. Well, let's let's. You know what? I'm gonna. Uh, I got KidVid here, and uh, Mark hates KidVid, so I'm gonna I'm gonna roll through a lot of this, uh, and and uh, just get this out of the way. We've got a whole bunch of uh, animals all over the place. Animals is animals, nonstop animals. Some of those animals are teenage mutant ninja turtles, and uh, at least if you call them animals, you know, I, I've I've completely lost track of how many uh, animated series they've done. This is the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Earth's Last Stand uh, from Nickelodeon. Kind of weird CGI animation. Not sure I really like it. It's kind of flat, kind of uh, kind of pale. Uh, not really that bright, but there are uh, seven episodes here. The idea has something to do with a black hole generator and, and uh, some bunch of aliens popping through a wormhole. I don't really... I, I, I'm sure kids follow it a lot better than I do. Anyway, it's a, it's it's the freaking turtles. <laughs> uh, Shimmer and shine, the the big headed uh, little Nickelodeon genies with the blue hair and the red hair and the big eyes that my daughter thinks are really cute. She doesn't really understand what a genie is, but that's okay. I know what a genie is, and I love genies. And uh, Shimmer and shine is a cute show. Uh, this is eight episodes. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's kind of like the it's bubble guppies as genies. I mean, that's basically what it is. Uh, if you like the bubble guppies, there it is. Uh, Lego. Have you seen the Batman? The Lego Batman. Did you see that? Yeah. Any good? Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. It's as good as the other one. Yeah. yeah. But whatever, dude. We'll, you know, Will Arnett's been doing that. I you know, just. What is it? You know. I, I you know what's disappointing about it? Yeah. Uh, all, right, all right. So there are all these Lego movies on the yeah. internet that anyone can find. Yeah. You, you know what they use in those movies? Legos. Huh. 
actual Legos. They make yeah. the movies using stop motion animation and Legos. Yeah. You know what they don't do in these movies? Huh? Use any goddamn Legos. <laughs> <laughs> Not a single one in the whole movie. Oh. All digital. And that it maybe it only bugs me, but yeah. it bugs the hell out of me that yeah. there are no Legos in the Lego movies. Well, we got Lego Star Wars, the Freemaker Adventures. Um uh, complete season one on Blu-ray. Comes with a little toy. Uh, you know, I I have kind of the same reaction to this, uh, and I especially when I see a Lego Jabba the Hut, which seems to defy <laughs> all reason. But that said, I guess Le- Jabba the Hut isn't even shaped like a thing that you can make out of a Lego. I know it's, he's it's gelatinous. It he's it's a, a hut. Yeah. Anyway, it's it is what it is. So uh, here, this is a little more interesting to me. Is uh, Elena of Avalor, which is a Disney show. And they have basically created a, a, a television princess, and they have Princess Sophia as well, but the, 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 the Disney princess industrial complex, which my daughter <laughs> is immersed in. And by the way, we call them warriors. Yeah. So my, Good, my wife insists that we refer to them as warriors. Better, better. So, um, and we've given her a lot of warrior stuff. Uh, but uh, what, what's interesting is how they've expanded it to television and tied the two in. Now, we go to Disneyland a lot. We got the passes, and we, you know, my daughter loves going to Disneyland and going on a Little Mermaid ride and the whole thing. Um, but when you go into the shops and you see all the princess stuff just blowing in your face, they're just shoving it at you left and right, there is a ton of Elena of Avalor going on right now. Mm. They're pushing her as hard as they have pushed any of their theatrical princesses, which I find to be really, really interesting. And Elena, of course, is, is you know, where this is, as they have been trying to do for a number of years, have princesses that cross all kinds of cultural and ethnic boundaries. And, you know, which started with Pocahontas, and then we had, you know, with Aladdin. Um, and then, in the, of course, uh, we went to Tiana, and the, yeah. the princess and the frog. And so this is, this is kind of in keeping, and of course, most recently, Moana. So this is in keeping with that, trying to, you know, have a princess for every kind of little girl around the world. So that they see themselves reflected, um, you know, in the princesses, and I think that's a wonderful thing. But I'm amazed that they've done it on television to this extent now. So Elena of Avalor, uh, the uh, ready to rule, and it is—it's it, not a bad show. It really isn't. It's—it's uh, it, it's done very, very well. It is first rate, and they have the same level of animation as uh, Sophia the First, which is also really, really good. We also have The Wildlife uh, on Blu-ray and DVD. This is not the Chris Penn movie from uh, the 1980s. This is an animated, uh, well, a mediocre animated uh, kind of a tropical island uh, comedy uh, that is allegedly based on Robinson Crusoe, although if you have read Robinson Crusoe, you will not recognize anything from that great work of literature in this very, very silly movie. But nonetheless, uh, there it is. This is from uh, the people at Summit who are likely to pick up a best picture for uh, La La Land. Um, and that will erase any memory of this very, very strange movie called The Wildlife. Uh, Disney also has the uh, Lion Guard, Life in the Pride Lands. This is a Lion King, you know, uh, backstory, basically, which is on Disney Junior. And it's fine. It's a little bit, uh, it's a little bit cloying but you can if you you know you can get over it if you watch enough of it with a young enough child that doesn't mind um it's okay uh life in the pride lands and this is uh you know it comes with all kinds of little kitty bonus features like uh you know the two music videos and these these strange shorts that i don't really understand um i am elated that the teletubbies are back 
And uh, I, I just could not be happier. I am a Teletubbies nut from a, a very, very early age. And we have a Teletubbies Snowball here, which is, uh, you know, just six episodes of the Teletubbies, the new Teletubbies, which is, um, you know, pretty much the same as the old Teletubbies. We got Poe and Tinky Winky, and I, I, I'm sorry, it's just the best thing in the world because it's completely <laughs> psychotic and weird. And whoever sits in those costumes, I really want to meet them. I like them very, very much. I think it's a wonderful thing. Uh, can't get enough Teletubbies these days. And I thought I had another Teletubbies here, uh, but I may have, uh, yeah, don't have it. Oh, yeah. Yep, you know what? I, uh, I, did, I, I thought I had another Teletubbies, but I actually had a, uh, another Elena. So uh, I also want to make mention of this. Elena and the Secret of Avalor, the magic within, that is also out there. So a lot of Elena. And then uh, Shopkins uh, are, are not good role models for children. Uh, I don't recommend this by any means. This is uh, deeply disturbing. These are, uh, these, are, these are almost like, what, do you, what, what was that, uh, John Benet Ramsey? Oh, yeah. These are like animated John Benet Ramseys. I, I do not, uh, it, the Shopkins is not something you should let little girl watch. Uh, Barbie is borderline. The Barbie and, Barbie and her sisters in a puppy chase... Uh, is rather shameless toy promotion. It's not terribly great animation, but the Barbie things are very popular. So I'm going to say if you have already taught your daughters well and they are at an, a, an age where they know to kind of sneer at this and be cynical, it's maybe not that harmful. Uh, My Little Pony, what can I say? There are, there are bronies out there. There are men who think that this stuff is great. This is the spinoff, uh, The Equestria Girls. Legend of Everfree. This is a Blu-ray, DVD, and digital download uh, set, and it's from Shout Kids. And uh, you know what? It's the Equestria Girls. I, it's you know they're teenage girls and they ride ponies and they. they it's you know it is what it is. Um, this is really interesting. This thing here. It's called Stickman. Uh, this is a, <laughs> and it, it, it literally is that it is literally that it is a, it is a stick man. It is a, it's a, like a weird living little piece of wood. Who's a little man. Um, but it is, it is really, really well done. It is just like classic children's book storytelling. And it is, uh, it's fascinating. The, this is from, there's a, there's a, there's a book that we used to read my daughter when she was little called Room on the Broom, which was made into a, a an animated short, which is very, very sweet. Room on the Broom, about a, you know, a witch on a broom and all these animals joined on the broom. And it's, it's actually a very, very sweet, uh, sweet story. Also written by the same people who did the Gruffalo, which is also really, really great. This oh, is yeah, the Gruffalo, yeah. The Gruffalo. The same animators that did the animated versions of those do the tale of Stickman. Who has to survive the many, many seasons of the uh, of, of you know going the, the years worth of seasons, all four seasons, and has to get back to his stick lady love and their stick children, and um, it's it, it's actually quite poignant and very sweet. And what makes it is that it has three of the best British actors on the planet doing voices, mm. and you just you forget that you're you're listening to Hugh Bonneville from Downton Abbey and Jennifer Saunders from Abfab and Martin Freeman who is of course the hobbit forget about it they're just great actors and it is wonderful what they do as voice actors and the animation just flows it just flows with it it's really really great uh let me clean up a few more here we got another Barbie Barbie video game hero terrible don't don't even bother it's just it's Barbie plus <laughs> Seriously, Barbie plus video games, it's like it's a recipe for, for hell. Your children will, will rebel against you in a heartbeat. Uh, Power Rangers Dino Charge, 
the complete season. That means that it only ran one season. Pretty standard uh, Power Rangers stuff. Although I have to say, what I want to take in this, you know, it's 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 it is. It's just a lot of fighting and costumes and bad makeup. But um, the uh, uh, you get the whole season there. But what I'm interested in is the new Power Rangers movie. Have you seen uh, the trailer for the new I'm, Power Rangers? I have. I have. I have indeed. I go back for the Power Rangers. Long, it doesn't long, look long. Power Rangery. Yeah. It looks very adult. Yeah. It looks like they're aiming at, at people like me, and well, that's a little scary. Well, you know, they would have to. You, dude, when I hit town in 90, yeah. Power Rangers, you know, first uh, layer of Power Rangers, first incarnation, I should say, of Power Rangers was happening hard over there yeah. at Saban. Yeah. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was insane. I remember interviewing the Pink Power Ranger uh, for some goofy thing. Amy, well, I, Amy Joe was her name. Amy Joe something. You know, a friend of mine, her brother was one of the original Power Rangers. Yeah? Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah one of the originals. Was Actually, I did have the other. Here, here was the other uh, Teletubbies. I was disorganized today. Big Hugs, uh, which includes the Big Hugs song. Uh, I, if you don't know the Big Hugs song, you are so missing out. I, uh, I walk up to perfect strangers on the street, and I sing them the Big Hugs song, and then I hug them. <laughs> And for some reason, they punch me. I don't understand it. Don't know, don't know the song? Just don't get it. Anyway, uh, Teletubbies, Big Hugs, a lot of fun. This, is, this has six episodes on it, including Babies, which is one of my all-time favorite Teletubbies episodes. You've got to see it. It is absolutely fantastic. Glad I didn't forget that. Uh, Super Y is great for teaching kids how to read. Uh, I, I swear by it. This is a PBS Kids series. This is Puppy Power. Don't worry about it. It's got four episodes. They're just, you know, the bottom line is... You get this to help your kids learn words and letters and how to read. It's terrific. Really, really well done. Little kids become superheroes. It's fantastic. Uh, Guardians of Oz uh, is fairly shameless attempt at just uh, jumping on the Wizard of Oz bandwagon, throwing in artwork that's a little bit Tim Burton-y, but not quite. And uh, or kind of between Tim Burton and robots. Remember that animated oh, film, yeah, Robots? Yeah, yeah. It's kind of between that. Really not. I can't really recommend this. It's uh, it, it's you know it's mediocre. It's fine. It's passable. But it, it's if you're an Oz fan, if you love the Wizard of Oz and all of that L. Frank, Frank Baum stuff, you, it's not gonna encourage you. Surfs Up Two, sequel to Surfs Up. This is Wave Mania. Uh, this is from the uh, WWE Studios. They uh, managed to, you know, use some of their WWE people to do voices and animated sh- films now, and it's weird and a little bit disturbing. But it's it's uh, you know it's got a following. So uh, John Cena and Undertaker and Triple H, they all jump in and uh, they do voices for penguins and and you know seals. And here we go. It surfs up too. Very strange that that actually became a thing. But there it is. Uh, Word World from PBS Kids, also really, really good for teaching kids how to read. Uh, this is uh, Building Readers' Let's Make Music, also highly recommended. Uh, another Power Rangers, uh, Dino Supercharge Roar. This is Volume 1, 10 episodes. Uh, you know what? It, th- this actually looks more like it uses Legos than uh, the Lego movies, got to be honest. And then uh, the last few are uh, all things that I'm not overly thrilled with. Uh, Singing with the Stars 2. This is a Sesame Street uh, thing where, you know, they, they, all the guests, all the, the, the name guests who can actually sing join uh, Sesame Street characters to do some kind of television singing. Uh, look, I love Gwen Stefani. I love Janelle Monet, I love uh, Macklemore. Um, uh, Aloe Block. Uh, is it Aloe Black? Aloe Black? Who is that? I don't know who that is. That's, that's, the, that's the one I, I, I don't know. But anyway, oh, yeah. Macklemore, uh, Janelle Monet, and Gwen Stefani, they are terrific. Um, and, um, you know, 
Um, if you like them, then you can tolerate that they're singing along with Elmo. Playtime with Caillou. It's another Caillou. He's bald. I don't like him. It's Canadian. I have problems. Uh, PJ Masks. Let's go PJ Masks. Another one of these kids that become superhero things that doesn't really have a point to it. Uh, you're not learning to read. They're not really teaching you life lessons. It's just a quickie CGI animation for the sake of quickie CGI animation. Don't really, uh, don't really cop to that. Uh, miraculous. Tales of Ladybug and Cat Noir. Be Miraculous. I'm a little bit more down with this. I'm kind of enjoying it. Uh, the uh, My daughter doesn't. I enjoy it more because it's kind of like an animated version of uh, Electra Woman and Dinah Girl, which is one of the guilty pleasures of my childhood. So I can I can hang with this. Uh, and then lastly, Star Paws, Cats and Dogs on a Galactic Adventure. Uh, I am so sick of uh, all that Cats and Dogs stuff. This is essentially... A lowbrow version of the uh, what they when they that remember the, the cats and dogs they tried to launch that franchise where cats oh, yeah. and dogs are warring they have their secret little tech war between each other yeah 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 that nonsense that's more of this that's kind of what this is doing I uh, it on a very low budget with mediocre special effects it's passable only if you like cats and dogs enough to tolerate their cuteness in a bad movie all right. Tim, uh, we got we got Brit TV. We got a lot of Brit TV. We got a crap load of Brit TV here, sir. Some of it pretty good, actually, <laughs> including the Secret Agent uh, British television series drama that I rather enjoy. Uh, BBC series uh, adaptation of Joseph Conrad's uh, uh, timeless novel. Um, uh, this was actually just just pretty damn good. Three episodes, hundred and seventy eight minutes. Uh, uh, here it's um, you know basically it's based on the story you know mm-hmm. the drills and all that, all that kind of stuff yeah. it, it's pretty neat uh, and uh, starring in it Toby Jones yeah uh, 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 Vicky McClure and Stephen Graham and Ian Hart uh, you know looks this is good there there are a number of there's there's a resurgence of the sort of time travel here uh, we have uh, we have timeless on television right yeah. now there's yeah. going to be uh, a, a a a reincarnation of this story. On an ABC series in March that's going to be coming out. Oh, wow. Too. Yeah. Uh, so that's the like back again for whatever reason. Uh, uh, I have Victoria. I'm particularly nuts about I, Victoria. I like this show. It's a very, very good show. Very dramatic. Uh, done well. Looks fantastic. Stars Jenna Coleman, who's uh, a Doctor Who yeah. girl, uh, which is why I, I'm particularly nuts about her. Tells the story based on Daisy Goodwin's uh, uh, novel of the young Queen Victoria. Yeah. Right when she was coming into power. I think I heard today... That today or tomorrow is Queen Elizabeth, the current queen's sixty-fifth uh, anniversary on the throne, and she is now the officially the longest reigning really? queen on uh, Queen of England after this chick, uh, uh, wow. uh, who's like sixty years or something like that. But wow. yeah, uh, so so that's uh, sort of fantastic. That's extraordinary. We also have brief encounters. Uh, you know what? This is actually a really, really fun show, and I. Uh, it, it's that's that one set in the eighties. This one's set in the eighties, set in the early eighties, and it's about uh, you know it's it kind of gets into that calendar girls, uh, full Monty thing. People who just they need to they need to change in life. They need yeah. to do something different. They need to switch it up. Uh, things aren't quite going great. And um, this is about four of these friends. They uh, they get together and they decide they're going to. Um, Basically, sell marital aids and lingerie, and uh, this is this is their new market, and they're gonna. This is how they're. This is the place they're gonna put their life, and it actually is really cool. It's um, it's got great music, great '80s music, a terrific cast. Um, 
especially uh, Penelope Wilton, who's been on Downton Abbey for yeah. six years, and yeah. this is a totally different role for her. She gets to kind of really loosen up and uh, do something very, very different, which is great for her. And it's it, the fact that it's set in the 80s, it just gets into that place. You know, the 80s was that moment when it, people expected it, but it was still a little bit shocking. You yeah. know, it was, not, it was not pervy. It was not sort of red light district. It was mainstream, but it was still... We were just starting to get, uh, yeah. you know, uh, those guys dancing around, those sort of pretty dancing boys. <laughs> right, right. Like there was like a... Chippendales the, the Chippendales, era, yeah. that was all just coming into play. So it's a fun show. It's a fun show. Brief Encounters, definitely worth checking out. Two discs. 192, a dramatic Canadian series. Uh, I watched a couple of these. This is one of those sort of like uh, mitch, mismatched cop series. You got this black yeah. cop and this white cop, uh, and they're working this very difficult uh, uh, district uh, out of Station 19. And, and over the course of this is 10 episodes right here, over the course of one or two episodes, they come to see. Yeah. They got a whole lot more in common uh, than they thought that they did. It's pretty good. Um, uh, series, dramatic series. Though you will know, you will know a, a number of actors in this series. The, mm-hmm. A lot of a lot of performance in this series show up in shows like Grimm and Sleepy Hollow, all of which are these shows. Right. Of the shows that are shot up in Toronto. Uh, so pretty good. Not a whole lot on here. Ten episodes. Uh, DVD. Yep. Uh, 800-word. 800-word, season one. Um, not a bad show. Uh, it's not star-driven. There's nobody here that's necessarily going to really you know, light you up uh, if you're looking for stuff that's sort of star-driven. But that said, uh, it's, it, uh, this is an Australian show. So we're, you know, when we talk about Brit TV, we, we include Australian stuff and a lot of Canadian stuff as well. Um, this, is, uh, you know, this is about a, uh, uh, basically a, a, a guy who takes his kids, his teenage kids, and decides to move from Sydney to New Zealand, to a small town in New Zealand. Now, if you if you live down under, and you know that 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 you you understand the cultural dynamics of going from Australia to New Zealand, you realize that that is in fact you know to us in the United States that's a oh my gosh isn't yeah. it the same thing yeah. isn't it the same country yeah. I know people is like New Zealand New Zealand is a country I thought it was part of Australia <laughs> no, no 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 don't say that to Russell Crowe because yeah. Russell Crowe is from New Zealand. But he lives in Australia. Different indigenous peoples. Completely. So totally different dynamics, different political systems, the whole thing. But um, the if you compare this to American shows where people just kind of up and move and go from one place to another, and whether it's you know from the city to the small town or small town to the city, whatever, they, there's a lot of those. Uh, this actually is quite poignant, and it does a very good job of selling you on the dynamics very, very quickly. And uh, it's well acted. It's sweet. It's really, really good. Uh, it just doesn't have any, you know, recognizable stars in it. But the actors are all really solid. And it's really, really well done. Eight hundred words, season one from Acorn. Uh, this is really, really good. Uh, Britain's Bloody Crown, uh, which is about the Wars of the Roses, which is a look to to me as a, being something of an Anglophile. I, I love this period of of. of I, I do too. Well, you and I both love that uh, that the, the low budget uh, a field oh, in England. Oh, a field in England. That was, was War of the Roses as well. Exactly. Yeah. Period, which is basically about about the period in England when there was a, a straight up battle on for the crown. Yeah. Uh, the House of York, the House of Lancaster. Yeah. And, and, and the crown goes back and forth several t- times yep. depending on you know, who who was ruling at the time and you know and who who the hell knew how it was going to come out. You know, the battle for the throne, yep. an actual battle for the throne. Um, the kind of stuff that plays out in you know like. Um, all of these sort of fantastical things like The Hobbit and all that yep. kind of stuff that actually happened in the UK. Anyway, what I like most about this uh, Britain's Bloody Crown is that it's part drama, 
two-part documentary. Yeah. He sort of blends the two together. Not something that I'm usually very crazy about, to be honest yeah. with you. I usually I know, like, I keep, keep my docs over here. <laughs> 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 keep my, but, but this actually does it quite well, and the production values are pretty damn fantastic. I'm trying to think of, a, of an equivalent period in American history. Maybe... Maybe because you know a lot of people don't understand uh, that that, that you know, War of eighteen twelve. You know, uh, Civil War would be the only Civil thing War would be the to. only thing. That you know, I, I, but that's a war of secession, and 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 uh, you know that's not really who's gonna. That's not you know. Uh, a, it, I mean, the War of the Roses is really a totally unique thing. I yeah. mean, I guess they. I guess the only analogy I can think of would be the uh, the uh, the Russian Civil War that came after the well, revolution, yeah, the, Russian, the Reds yeah. and the Whites. Yeah, yeah. You know, we, win, we've, yeah. we've thrown out the czar. Now we're going to fight among each other to figure out who gets to, yeah, to run and, this and thing. What to, what to fix it. Yeah, interesting yeah. stuff, man. Uh, Jericho of Scotland Yard, absolutely terrific. Great British mystery. The Brits do bit mystery better than anybody else. Uh, this is period mystery. Starring the amazing Robert Lindsay, who is uh, just an absolutely superb actor. If you've ever seen him in anything, he's just he's he's great in everything, absolutely everything. Uh, especially when he was in Horatio Hornblower, that was particularly good. Um, and uh, this all takes place in the 1950s. Scotland Yard, the 1950s, is just good rock solid detective work. You don't have to be burdened with any of that sort of uh, modern forensic stuff where you can solve your mysteries without ever actually leaving a laboratory. No, that's, this is a guy who's really, really got to get to get down and dirty with his trench coat and his fedora. And it just feels a little bit like Brit Noir on television. It's really good, solid mystery writing. Incredibly well acted. Great supporting cast. Um, especially Claire Bloom and Jane Horrocks, who I just adore, uh, shows that great side that you never see, yeah. that, that that dramatic side when she's not playing Bubbles. She's wonderful in this. So, uh, yeah, definitely check this out. If you are a mystery or a Brit um, detective show fan, Jericho of Scotland Yard is absolutely fantastic. Uh, Wentworth, season one. They say that this show, British uh, drama yeah. set in the prison, they say that this show is better than Orange is the New Black. Yeah, uh, it'll have to be damn good to be better than Orange. Yeah, to be as good as Orange is New Black. But you know that's what they say, uh, and we shall see. Anyway, this is season one of the of the series. A lot of uh, bonus behind the scenes material here, including a featurette uh, and some interviews with the cast and crew. Um, you know, it is a good show, that's for sure. Better than Orange is New Black. Hmm. In time, it needs. It, we it, shall it, see. In time, we shall see about that. Uh, I got a couple of Blu-rays here as well. Um, one from Acorn, one from PBS. The PBS one is is, is pretty great. Uh, Aiden Turner in Pull Dark, complete second season. Uh, Masterpiece just keeps on just totally rocking it. They really, really do. Uh, this is uh, Pull Dark is um, has slowly become uh, kind of a, a, a bit of a, one, another one of those masterpiece cult series. It takes place in the 1790. And uh, the the American Revolution is depicted in um, well through the eyes of uh, people who have to. I guess the best way to put it is, you're it, it's it's still political, but it is it's more social in many respects. So it, it's very easy to get caught up in the American Revolution from the usual American point of view, which is you know uh, we we hate the king, looking for liberty, but that's not. That's not the angle here. This is this is about a way of life. This is about uh, relationships, and Aiden Turner, who uh, was briefly in The Hobbit, you know, not a huge role in The Hobbit, but he uh, he is absolutely terrific in this. And this is the uh, 
complete second season picks up right at the end of the first season when he was uh, arrested, and uh, it, it goes in some really, really fascinating directions. Really, really good American uh, revolutionary soap opera stuff. So mm. Aiden Turner, Poldark, second season on Blu-ray from PBS. And then um, Stephen Polyakov's Cold War drama Close to the Enemy from Acorn, three discs on Blu-ray. Uh, outstanding cast, outstanding production value, really, really interesting. Picks up right at the end of World War II and the, the way in which you know nobody had a chance to even breathe when we thought we defeated the Nazis, and now, boom, the Cold War begins, yeah. just sprinting right out of World War II. A whole new uh, global collision, a global clash, and everybody has to uh, shift gears now and kind of focus on the fact that your former ally is now your rival, and uh, it, is, it is really, really just flawlessly done. Uh, you know, August Deal from Inglorious Bastards plays this uh, this German scientist who is going to become kind of a um, you know it's not yet the space race, but he is certainly helping develop you know jet engines to get you to the next phase of the international uh, uh, arms race. A lot of really interesting stuff here. There's a behind the scenes featurette and a lot of uh, cast interviews and just an, a really really incredible cast. Uh, Jim Sturgis, Alfred Molina, Angela Bassett. Uh, Freddie Highmore, they really, really just kill it. This is a, a fascinating, fascinating uh, story. Interesting stuff there. Yep. Doctor Who, uh, The Power of the Daleks. This is an interesting story here. So 1974, Patrick Troughton is playing the Doctor, right? Yep. Uh, this was the six-part series that they did. They lost the video of the series back in 1974. Ooh. Always had the audio. Right? Mm -hmm. uh, for 50 years, they tried to figure out what the hell to do. What they decided to do was to animate to the audio, to the original audio, uh, this six part series for this episode of Doctor Who. That's fascinating. And they animated They animated it back in black and white uh, at the time, and, then, and now they've done it in color. Anyway, so you have the original dialogue, the original uh, recordings, all of the original recordings. From the 1974 episode, I didn't start watching Doctor Who until the 80s. I was a, I was a Tom Baker man. Yeah. And I had to go something I was too. And, and reconnect myself to all that. But anyway, newly animated in black and white and color. All kinds of bonus features on this as well. Uh, uh, all kinds of uh, animated uh, test footage and stuff like that. The, the, the planet Vulcan plays a role in this particular episode. Oh, that's great. Of Doctor Who, which I've always found. Uh, slightly you know, thought of interesting. Uh, Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency, which is a uh, very interesting uh, British series uh, from Max Landis uh, that co-stars uh, Elijah Wood with, with Samuel uh, uh, Barnett. This has this, so this is a sort of wacky series that involves a wee bit of time travel in <laughs> <laughs> a, a detective yeah. and this sort of goofy guy that he. Uh, I just, I just, Elijah Wood makes some really interesting choices. Oh, you did that now. thing with the guy who was the, the the giant dog in his imagination or something like that. It was, uh, I mean, well, he's made he made so much money off the Lord of the Rings, he can afford now to just do some weird, interesting things. Yeah, and he's, and he's doing it. Lord of the Rings. I, yeah, he was the original Spider Man. Did he do two of those? Did he do two Spider Mans? Uh, no, no, that's uh, Toby. Toby. No, Toby. Like, Toby. I was, you know, I always Elijah Wood. They Elijah hang Elijah out Wood. together. Well, yeah, Elijah they do. They Wood hang out together. They're friends. Um, Capital, uh, Toby Jones, and Rachel Starling, Gemma Jones, uh, Gemma Jones, and Leslie Sharp in this series. Another very interesting series, a la Mr. Robot a bit, right? So this, sure. is, this is set in the community. These people receive these postcards, and these postcards say to them, uh, uh, we want what you have. Yeah, and there's this whole sort of thing that's going on, and people are trying to figure out what it's all about. Is it some sort of a marketing campaign? Is it this? Is it that? What the hell is going on? And uh, it starts to, to to twist into everyone's heads, 
and it gets very dark and very mm. intense, and it shows how how little it takes to rip a community, to rip a society uh, apart. You know, a little, little bit of Lord of the Flies there. Some um, some bonus material on this: the making of Capital. Uh, so interesting, uh, very very good series there. And uh, let's see, we got one more. Oh, one more Brit TV, The Syndicate, All or Nothing. Um, you know, uh, for some reason this doesn't, it didn't quite uh, resonate with me. I'm not, sh not sure why. I feel like it should. Um, it's, it, it should be one of, my, one of those classic mystery things to me, but it uh, didn't quite uh, hit the spot. Uh, it just kind of kind of misses it. Maybe, maybe the writing is not quite there. Anyway, um, the idea, this is, uh, you know, Kay Malore, who is a really, really great writer, is the one who's behind this. And uh, maybe, you know, maybe, maybe I need to take a look at it again. Anyway, uh, it take, it's like Downton Abbey with mysteries, basically, is the idea here. And you have a, a manner where, you know, uh, things that they've had financial trouble and they've had to let everybody go. And uh, now there are, is intrigue in the uh, in the manor, and um, I, you know, it's a it, I don't know. Maybe it feels like a little bit too pat of a of a mm. setup, right? Mm -hmm. It's like okay, let's let's see if we can, you know, like like the the uh, the big quote they have from the uh, Daily Telegraph here is "Shades of Downton and Agatha Christie." Well, I could just hear somebody pitching it. It's Agatha Christie <laughs> in, in Downton Abbey. <laughs> you know, the, the pitch just it sound, is more interesting than the, the, the execution. No, so anyway, no. uh, the syndicate, all or nothing. Uh, you know, it, it, it might be your kind of thing. It might not. So, uh, you know, give it a look. Uh, Tim, let's talk about some classic films. Yes, indeed. Uh, the, right off the bat, uh, Pinocchio, Disney's Pinocchio. First time on, uh, on Blu-ray. And uh, it's none too soon. This is pretty fantastic. This is one of the. Uh, this may be the first animated film that I saw after my parents had scarred me with Patton and Tora Tora Tora. <laughs> uh, but uh, I remember very well seeing Pinocchio with my father and thinking, uh, "Yeah, that's cute, but uh, where are the tanks?" Yeah. Anyway, uh, this is uh, this comes with the uh, Disney movies anywhere code, which I have to say is the greatest thing in my life. Did I tell you that? Yes, it's the yes, greatest yes. thing in my life. Um, I never thought. If you have a little baby girl, it, look, I've been, I've been, you know, up and down on ultraviolet and the Disney Anywhere's thing, and you know, it's like, well, just you know, the disc is better resolution. No, let me tell you something. Here's why this is part of my life now, because it's too much work to just take that disc everywhere in the house. You know, we've we've got three TVs in the house, and and wherever she wants to watch it, that's where she's going to watch it. And I to put one disc in, and then they put put Snow White in, and pull Snow White out, and then put, you know, a Little Mermaid in, and then pull that out. No, now I just I turn on the Oppo. The Oppo has has uh, uh, you know the the Disney Anywhere's mm -hmm. uh, app on it. It's all part of my 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 uh, library there, and I just. I bring it up and I can just it, I play it right off the internet for her and I don't have to deal with discs or anything. It's and it goes amazing. To the next one. It goes to the and next. And better one. yet, we went skiing recently. I've never been skiing in my life. Okay, <laughs> this is my first time on skis. Wasn't pretty. Uh, by the way, see that see that see that scab there? That scab on my thumb? Yeah, that was there was a lot of blood on the snow because of that. And I still have a bone contusion on my leg. Wasn't pretty. So, but we went to the snow. We went to the snow. Went to Mammoth. And we're hoping to get my daughter on skis. No. She just wants to watch movies. She doesn't want to get in the snow. She wants to watch movies. Oh, well, you know what? My wife downloaded all the Disney Anywhere movies onto the iPad. Boom. Boom. There it is. We have them with us. 
Didn't even need to bring the discs. Yeah. iPad. Set the iPad up. Here, watch. We're going to go throw snowballs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing. So yeah, that said, yeah. Pinocchio, God bless him. Some of the stuff's in the vault, like Cinderella's in the vault. You can't do a Disney Anywhere thing with Cinderella, but you absolutely can with Pinocchio. I mean, what am I going to tell you about Pinocchio? It's great. Lots of extras, lots of Blu-ray fun stuff. Um, looking at, you know, the, the looking back on the song... Um, the the making of the film, the animation. I mean, you just, it's just uh, it's absolutely fantastic. This is a great movie, uh, a great classic, and uh, it's no wonder that Disney decided to use "When You Wish Upon a, a Star" as its its theme song forever because mm. it's just great. And uh, there's a brand new version of the Oswald short "Poor Papa" on here. So uh, you just it's you know you gotta own this if you have kids, if you have family, if you love movies, Pinocchio. On Blu-ray, DVD, and with digital HD, it's great. From the uh, signature Walt Disney collection, we'll go from Polter, we'll go from uh, Pinocchio to Poltergeist. Yeah. Uh, Poltergeist two and three are the two films that we have here on DVD. Poltergeist first one, 1982, uh, Toe Hooper's film. People yeah. forget that the primary screenplay for yeah. that film was uh, written by Steven Spielberg. That's uh, right. It was yeah. going to be a Spielberg film yeah, originally. It was going to be a Spielberg film. That was, yeah. that was the primary idea. It was a, it was a big giant Same hit. year as E.T. Same year as E.T. Yep. Uh, uh, very powerful film. Uh, uh, that, that original Poltergeist. Really, really neat sort of special effects there. Poltergeist 2, uh, a couple of years later, directed by Brian Gibson. We still got, uh, we've still got Craig T. Nelson and Joe Beth Williams in Poltergeist yeah. 2. And the wonderful little Zelda Rubenstein who played yes. the little sort of medium. Uh, who came out to take care of some business there. This, uh, both of these DVDs uh, have all kinds of stuff on them. The third film, a couple of years later, 1988, was directed by Gary Sherman. Zelda is still around. Tom Skerritt and Nancy Allen yeah. in the third film. Uh, so they're still going for, you know, good acting and, uh, uh, you know, a sort of dramatic arc even in the third film, although some of the juice had been lost by then, and they were depending a little bit too much by the third film on special effects, on sort of CGI special effects, Lame. as opposed to the very practical effects that had been in the third and the first film. Both of these have all kinds of stuff on them, uh, brand new 2K scans, uh, audio commentaries uh, with the directors on the respective films, as well as uh, some of the special effects people and screenwriters and uh, the actors and uh, such and such. Uh, on both of these. Anyway, I always thoroughly enjoyed these films. They did a remake of the original Poltergeist came out, I don't know, maybe a year or two ago. I have no idea why the hell they bothered to do that. That was ridiculous. All right. And from that, we're going to move to The Passion of the Christ. Uh, this has been out before. The definitive edition from a few years ago is still the one you want to have. There's only reason to get this. Look, this is a, a, a bargain-priced uh, Blu-ray of Mel Gibson's The Passion of the Christ, which is being released for a very simple reason. Yeah. Mel is no longer uh, in the doghouse. Hacksaw Ridge got him back on the map, so people figured, uh, you know, people over at, uh, at, at Fox who have the rights to release Passion of the Christ thought, well, why not? Let's just see if we can get a little more juice Hollywood on Passion. Hollywood can't stay mad. Hollywood they can't, can't stay, stay mad. Stay mad. You know, we got, we got, we're, we're not too far from Easter, so let's try to juice this up a little bit. But here's what they've done. So the only reason to get this is if you are a lazy slob and you're annoyed by the fact that the, the crucifixion of Christ is bloody and in Aramaic and you don't want to watch a realistic depiction, let's say you want to watch the one that's been edited so it's not quite so violent and maybe it's dubbed in English or in Spanish, um, then you get this. I, whatever. This, this has both the original cut, the theatrical cut, and the sanitized cut, which I think is just horrible. Beats the purpose, and uh, you know, there's it's in, got an English and a Spanish dub. I don't really get the point, um, but for some people, I guess that's uh, you know that makes it easy to digest. It's got all the uh, you know the usual stuff, biblical footnotes and audio commentaries with Mel, and 
and and you know theologians weighing in, and it's uh, it's you know it's bargain priced. So it is not what I would. If you have the definitive edition, stick with that. Mm. Kirsten Johnson is a cinematographer. She's a very important cinematographer uh, who, for several decades now, since the middle eighties anyway, uh, has been behind the lens of many films that you have seen, particularly if you like to watch things uh, on PBS like The Independent Lens and, uh, and, 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 and such, uh, a lot of travel films uh, she has helmed, as well as uh, some very important films recently, including Citizen Four, uh, and this film is, uh, is not yet rated, and The Invisible War, all very important films, some of which were Academy Award nominated. Wow. Uh, of late. Anyway, this film, A Camera Person, is an aggregation of several decades of her work uh, into one sort of personal memoir. A beautiful criterion set. Yeah, 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 an absolutely beautiful uh, Blu-ray uh, we're talking about here. Approved by the cinematographer. It is very important that when a cinematographer, when a cinematographer has the opportunity to sit down and watch their work and put together uh, 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 a rescanned, uh, recalibrated, and recolored for corrected. If, if they sign off on it, you know that you are seeing the thing that the cinematographer wanted you to see in the first place, which is what is happening here. Anyway, um, uh, an absolutely exquisite film in and of itself, all the more striking because we understand that the cinematographer has signed off on that. So that's Camera Person. And uh, Warner Archive, a lot of great uh, Warner Archive stuff to talk about today. Only one blue, uh, DVD, the rest are all Blu-ray. The DVD is a, is a cute little animated film called Cats Don't Dance that was completely off my radar. Um, great songs, actually, really fun songs. I uh, had never heard of this before, but it is a, it is a nice discovery. Uh, it's kind of like a... Oh, uh, how would I put it? It's, 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 it's a little bit... Um, it's a little bit like a Warner Brothers version of the Aristocats. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's yeah, kind of, you know, kind of in there. Anyway, um, Randy Newman wrote the songs, and great voice casting in here. Uh, Scott Bakula, Jasmine Guy. It's a, it's a, it's it's actually quite a fun film. Uh, very very cute. Good animation. Uh, very kind of a classic tinge to it, even though it's a more recent uh, Warner Brothers animated film. Uh, rated G, seventy five minutes long. Um, really a lot of fun. But uh, here's, the, here's the good stuff. Yeah, now oh, here's the good stuff. You're, the yeah, Warner yeah. Archive Blu rays. Yeah, uh, okay. can I, can you, I do the Black Dragon? Is that the scissors? That's, no, that, that, I, I was just going to, I'll hit this stack. You dive into uh, that first, okay. And I'll leave you, leave you to jump all over that. Battleground with Van Johnson, John Hodiak, uh, and Ricardo Montalban is a uh, World War II film about the Battle of Bastogne. It is, um, it is better than most of the, uh, the usual uh, World War II era films made around the World War II era, which are very often propaganda films. Um, this is a really good cast. It has perhaps the funniest tagline of uh, any war film from that era that I have ever seen. It is absolutely hilarious. This is the tagline. The guts, gags, and glory of a lot of wonderful guys. That's hysterical. The guts, gags, and glory of a lot of wonderful guys. Yeah. That's like uh, Citizen Kane. It's terrific. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it started out good. <laughs> it's terrific. That was the tagline. Uh, we also have It's Always Fair Weather, which is just an absolutely beautiful musical, absolute classic. Um, uh, Gene Kelly, Sid Charisse, uh, Michael Kidd. It's just, uh, it, it just doesn't get any better than that. It really is wonderful. One of the all-time great CinemaScope um, uh, Arthur Freed produced musicals for MGM now in the Warner Library and God bless him it's really really great Gene Kelly is, is rarely been better 
uh, Singing in the Rain, and you know a few others, but it's just absolutely beautiful. Uh, as long as we're on the subject, we also have Bells Are Ringing with Judy Holiday and Dean Martin, uh, another Cinemascope uh, musical gem, an absolute joy, directed by the king of musicals, Vincent Minnelli himself. And, uh, you know, it just doesn't get any better. Uh, Condon and Green, Jules Stein did the music. Come on. It just, this, is, this is legendary all the way through. And as all as before, produced by Arthur Freed. This is as good as it gets. If you've never seen Bells Are Ringing, you are missing one of the great just merging of talents of all time. Everybody who's involved in this is at peak uh, perform, uh, peak, peak skill. And it's just absolutely great. It's just a, a whole lot of fun. Dean Martin at his very, very best. Um, uh, moving to more recent stuff, and then I'll leave these. Yeah, I'll cover the. I'll, I'll jump back at the uh, these other two. Time after time, uh, one of the great genre films of my growing up. Uh, Nicholas Meyer, who uh, I'm not always that fond of, but did a great job with this really cool kind of fiction and fact uh, genre bending thing with a time travel search for Jack the Ripper that involves H.G. Wells. Um, it's just a really, really cool movie. It's uh, Malcolm McDowell's uh, just flawless, one of his very, very best performances, and uh, it's really a lot of fun. This is one of the one, really one of the better genre films of the uh, of the nineteen eighties. And then jumping back to uh, the nineteen seventies, The Goodbye Girl, one of the best Neil Simon, maybe even the best Neil Simon adaptation. Ah, yes. Uh, which, frankly, I most remember this for the song. David Gates, lead singer of Bread, did the uh, did the song, which is just one of the it just makes you cry. It's so wonderful. I remember something completely different about it. What do you remember? Marsha Mason didn't wear a bra on the whole day. <laughs> <laughs> it was the seventies, man. Her, Jill Clayburgh, they're like, they're, 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 you know, well, bras were out. The, the, Gloria Steinem that... had made them burn them all. <laughs> and, 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 and the seventies, from seventy-two to about eighty, <laughs> to about eighty. Yeah, it was a solid time, baby. And Richard Dreyfuss, of course, took home Best Actor for this, yeah. very, very deservedly. And so, it's a wonderful, wonderful movie. Jamie, Jimmy movie. Coco. Yeah, James uh, Coco, produced by Ray Stark, who of course had done you know uh, Funny Girl and a lot of other great films. Awesome. It's 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 really great. And then the last two Blu-rays, the last two Blu-rays from the Warner Archive collection, uh, Spencer Tracy and Robert Ryan in the sensational Bad Day at Black Rock. I know a bunch of our listeners have already gone out and purchased this. Uh, you you got to get this. It is just one of it is just an absolutely riveting movie. Um, you know, it's uh, it, it yes, it's a noir. It's but it's it's more than that, you know. Uh, Spencer Tracy is this World War II vet who uh, comes to the town of Black Rock and uh, runs into all kinds of you know badness as you would expect in a John Sturges directed movie. It is uh, it, it just it's just great, uh, you know. Ernest Borgnine and Lee Marvin, everybody in this movie has a face. It looks like it was just blown out of out of granite. It's absolutely terrific, really really great. Uh, John Sturges, you know, one of the all-time great tough guy directors. you got to get it. Blu-ray is fantastic. And then lastly, Audrey Hepburn in uh, Wait Until Dark, which is uh, yeah. still a great chiller, direct, uh, directed by Terrence Young, uh, who, it, you know, comes mm. out of James Bond films. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, I mean, come on. But you got she's, Alan Arkin. He's, he's, she's he's, blind. He's, it's so and vulnerable. And Alan Arkin's after she's her. She's just so vulnerable in that movie. Yeah. Uh, uh, and that's the reason why it works. If you if you look at that movie today, that movie takes place on like uh, the starkest set, ninety five percent of it. Absolutely, it's just the starkest set. It's like the set of any sitcom. And Alan Arkin is terrifying. Yeah, absolutely who, fantastic. Who yeah. who casts Alan Arkin as a, a stalker? 
I mean, this is a blind. I mean, yes, it's a woman in jeopardy movie, and a lot of these. And I, I you know, I, I exchanged some emails with some of our listeners about this too. That you know, why were so many women in jeopardy movies? Why did they all come out at this time? Was it a response to feminism? And I think to some degree it was. Mm. I think so, there, there's there's a fear, there's certainly a cultural fear that you know, are women going to be able to handle being more liberated and so forth and so on. So yes, it's sort of an exploitation minded re response to uh, to feminism but um, still it's a great film it's tense it's suspenseful Audrey Hepburn is great so vulnerable holds like you said. up holds up holds and up Alan Arkin is just terrifying uh, Ron, Ron Van Cliff right yeah uh, uh, Black Dragon's Revenge. Now, yeah. now it is said the the, the film is, is about these sort of rival gangs fighting to, to to get back this manual about the finger this finger fighting manual yeah. said to have been written by Bruce Lee. Yeah, it is said that Bruce Lee himself actually named Ron Van Cliff the Black Dragon, gave him that name. <laughs> actually, you know, put that. In, I don't. Maybe only Ron says that. Oh, that's great. <laughs> but it is, in fact, sad. Anyway, this is 1975. Fantastic. Sort of, you know, that, that crossover of black exploitation film yeah. with Hong Kong film uh, that popped up in the Dolomite films. Yeah. And, of course, and all of our, you know. All movies, the Jim Kelly all stuff. All the Jim Kelly stuff. And all, yeah. I mean, the films back in the day. Everybody you can think of is in this movie. They all look fantastic. Uh, and uh, and you should check it out. Unfortunately, not a whole lot on here other than the movie itself. 90 minutes. Uh, you know, we got a couple from the uh, the Vestron collection. Um, if you remember Vestron, Vestron was like the original uh, home video schlocky company. Yeah. And Lionsgate has the Vestron library now, and they are releasing things as part of the Vestron video collector series because these are all films now that I hate to say it, they, these are now classics, believe it or not. Yeah. And they are, yeah, they're schlocky, but they they all have that 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 Vestron. Veneer that makes us remember the '80s. In particular, Ken Russell's *The Lair of the White Worm*. Yeah. Now, just a word about Ken Russell. Uh, Ken Russell, of course. <laughs> You're gonna uh, tell this story. I'm going to tell all the stories. <laughs> Ken Russell, of course, the the eccentric British director who had previously done, you know, uh, *Listomania* and 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 you know a lot of interesting films in the '60s and into the '70s. Um, who then went straight up crazy after he made Altered States. Now, Altered States is a really good film. Yeah, yeah. yeah uh, after, hurt. after Altered States, he lost his mind, and he went and made Gothic, which, which is still one of the worst films I've ever seen in my life. I still quote that film every day in some really derogatory way. You know, Timothy Spall is good in it, yeah. uh, but everybody else is ridiculous. Gabriel Byrne, and it's just it's, it's, it's insane. It's an insane movie. It's all about just drug tripping. Yeah. And... Um, after Gothic, he just went out of his completely out of his mind. Lair of the White Worm is based on a Bram Stoker uh, work, but it I, I can't you know I've never read the Bram Stoker Lair of the White Worm. All I know is that this has to be the most drug fueled interpretation of an otherwise great novel uh, that I have ever seen in, in in my life. Hugh Grant and Amanda Donahoe and Catherine Oxenberg. Um, I, I hope they they it didn't aren't destroy their careers. You know, everybody, it didn't destroy every, their everybody careers. Everybody went to work. Everybody went on to work. Yeah. Ken Russell does a commentary on here uh, that it, you have to hear to actually appreciate. We almost interviewed Ken Russell for yeah. Stupid for Movies. Uh, we were supposed to. Uh, Corey, our wonderful Corey, who does our, our intros, uh, Corey got there with the crew first, and Ken Russell wouldn't let them up. Wouldn't let them up into the <laughs> hotel room. I got there later, and I was like, what? He's like, he keeps hanging up on him. <laughs> what? It's like, yeah, Ken Russell just kept hanging up on him. And 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 uh, around and then like the following day, or it may have been the day before, Ken Russell was doing a Q and A for some of his films, 
uh, at the Academy, and it turned into a total fiasco. He was <laughs> making fun of the guy who was interviewing him and wouldn't answer any question. And you just thought, my gosh, you really are out of your mind. You're not just pretending to be crazy, you're, you know, like Kubrick. You're 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 straight up bonkers. Yeah. So we never got our Ken Russell interview. Anyway, Larry the White Worm, completely unhinged, crazy, uh, but uh, still a good cast. It didn't hurt their careers, and it's a nice flashback. Yeah. The other the other Vestron film uh, is Parents, which wow. you know was I, love that I, movie. I had totally forgotten this even existed. It was completely off my radar. Very, that's one dark comedy to me. Mary Beth Hurt, Randy Quaid, uh, you know, it, 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 as the parents that, well, let's just say, uh, how do we even f- frame the plot? Your parents may not be the people you think they are, and what they're serving you to eat may not be what they're serving you to eat. Yeah. Uh, it is it is straight up creepy. It really is, but in a kind of black, black, black comedy yeah. way. Yeah, anyway. funny, funny. Directed by Bob Balaban, yeah. by the way, of all people, uh, who was wonderful, of course, on uh, on Seinfeld, but you know, and Bob Balaban, who also was in Altered States, but he directed this, and he is not a bad director, and I wish he'd direct again. All right, uh, you got some Mill Creek stuff I, I, there. Yeah, well, a couple of things here. Band of the Hand, nineteen eighty six. This was a neat movie that I remember from back in the day. Went to see this in the theaters. Uh, um, with Stephen Lang, uh, uh, Leon, who would yeah. go on to be in the Madonna uh, uh, video way back then, playing Jesus and, and uh, Five Heartbeats and whatnot. Uh, this was produced by Michael Mann, but directed by pa- uh, Paul Michael Glazier, of course. Uh, Starsky. Of Starsky. Starsky with Starsky and Hunt. Quite fan. You can't look at this from 1986 and not see Miami Vice all over. Right. You know, uh, about these guys, these other felons wandering around doing whatever they do. So, so it's sort of a neat movie, again, from the 80s. Uh, doing that sort of 80s thing. Going a little bit further back to the original Gone in 60 Seconds, 1974, of course, Nick Cage and Angelina Jolie sort of remade a, a pale a pale uh, comparison to it in about, I don't know, 2000, 2001, or something like that. The original classic, though, uh, is just a fantastic movie um, uh, uh, that I just absolutely love. Um, 1974. This this DVD has is from a, has a is a restored master has all kinds of special features on it, including the original trailer, a lot of uh, never before seen footage, uh, behind the scenes interviews uh, with uh, Lee La Roca and and, and Tarnelli Jones. Just all kinds of really really cool stuff. So anyway, uh, for fans of the genre films from back in the day, the original classic, Gone in 60 Seconds. Uh, I had completely forgotten that Mariah Carey had a film <laughs> I know. career there. Both Everyone her and does. Britney Spears around the same time both made their big movies. And you know what? They are I, in hindsight we made up, made yeah. fun of them, but they're fine. Yeah, I do. I forgot. I forgot. Terrence Howard was in Glitter. Yeah. Glitter is the movie we're talking about. Two thousand. Bondi Curtis Hall directed this movie. Yeah. Um, you know, another good director who yeah, needs to direct. Yeah, another again. good director who needs to direct yeah. again. Made made uh, the best the, the best Tupac film, Gridlock. That's right. Uh, was directed by Vondi Curtis Hall and went on the Cassie Lemons his wife directs as well and, and, and you know whenever I see Vondi Curtis Hall you know all I can think of mm-hmm. and this says a lot really um, I think of him it is one of his smallest roles but it is so memorable to me is the economically not viable man oh, falling, fall, uh, falling down in falling down, falling down, standing on the street with that, with that yeah. economically not viable man. That was his character. Yeah. I it, and and just there's that haunting look in his face. Eddie Rose Smith film, I think. Yeah, he wrote yeah. that film. Yeah, Michael did. Douglas film, directed by Joel Schumacher. Yeah. All right, we're gonna we're gonna wrap out. I got a few uh, from the Kino 
Classics collection here. Uh, the, uh, you know, Kino uh, Classics, Kino Lorber Studio Classics. These are films that they license largely from uh, uh, major studios. Yeah. Stuff that nobody else would put out on Blu-ray, but they're putting them out. And uh, there's some really, really interesting stuff here. Uh, the, old, the old era of biblical epics uh, gave us a lot of really interesting films, most of them from Cecil B. DeMille, but yeah. not all of them. Mm -hmm. Henry King, in 1951, directed David and Bathsheba. Oh, Peck and um, Hayward. Yes, yeah. Gregory Peck and Susan Hayward. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, not a bad film, actually. Not uh, it Better in many respects and more faithful to the source material than uh, what DeMille was doing yeah. because DeMille was was sexing it up, you yeah. know. He was he was trying to find a way to have it both ways, which is uh, here's, a, here's some titillating uh, TNA, and by the way, naughty, naughty. Yeah. <laughs> and this is exactly what pissed God off in the first place. Yeah, and, that, you know, Daryl Zanuck produced this, uh, you know, a solid director, written by Philip Dunn. Uh, directed by Henry King, a uh, great supporting cast, Raymond Massey. Uh, you know, this is a really, really solid telling of the story. Yeah, it, it dates a little bit, but um, still, it's it's literate and it's solid, and Gregory Peck is terrific, absolutely terrific. Uh, Prince of Foxes, what a cast. Tyrone Power and Orson Welles. Yeah. Uh, a couple of real powerhouses there, and uh, a great audio commentary on this with uh, Troy Howarth. This is Prince of Foxes That's Henry King again. Yep, Henry King again. Um, a very different Henry King, though. This was uh, made in 1949, a couple of years earlier. It's black and white, and uh, it, is a, it is a much more... Uh, toned down. It's, it's a more of a chamber. It's yeah. almost more Shakespearean. It's about the Borgias. It's a more Shakespearean kind of thing. Yeah, it looks at the, the, the intrigue in the court of the Borgias, which, of course, as we all know, the Borgias were the inspiration for the, the Corleones and the Godfather. Coppola's basically talked about that, that he, you know, that was a, just as what he, what he did with Conrad in Apocalypse Now, yeah. taking Conrad into Vietnam. Conrad, yeah. The Godfathers was taking the Borgias into the world of the Mafia. So it's, you know, it, it, the Borgias are a fascinating historical um, family. And, uh, you know, there were, there were popes in the Borgias, and it just, you know, a family that dominated, like many families did at the time. But uh, this is a really, really interesting Shakespearean approach to it. Uh, very literate, very cool, great cast. Tyrone Power and Orson Welles anchor it, but other really great performances uh, coming up behind them. A great supporting cast. Really solid. Again, great work from Henry King. Uh, one of my favorite forgotten movies with amazing cinematography by Gene Kelly is uh, What a Way to Go, and what a cast. Shirley MacLaine, Dick Van Dyke, Bob Cummings, Dean Martin, Paul Newman, Robert Mitchum, and, of course, Gene Kelly. That's crazy. Uh, today, if you had a cast of that caliber, you wouldn't be able to afford the movie. It's fantastic. You know, of course, I mean, you know, that's, that's like amazing amount of star power in one film. Uh, we, 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 Lafka, Los yeah. Angeles from Pluto, we gave Shirley MacLaine... The Career uh, Achievement Award this year. She was yeah. there. She was fantastically funny. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, Betty, and, you know, written uh, Gwen Davis story and Betty Comden. Yeah, I mean, it's you fantastic. Know, you can't go better than no. that. No, Comden and Green again. You yeah. know, it's uh, it's just it's a it's another classic musical. Wonderful, amazing cast. Uh, got two Academy Award nominations, and one of them was for Edith Edith Head's amazing costumes, and they are just glorious costumes. I, I mean, Dick, really. I, Dick Van Dyke is in that movie. I forgot yeah. Dick Van Dyke was in that. It's movie. fantastic. Yeah. And then the last two, uh, Scavenger Hunt by Michael Schultz. What a fast! Great one. What a what a uh, this is a, this this isn't even a bigger cast. I mean, here's the cast: 
Let's just let's just put this together. <laughs> Richard Benjamin, Roddy McDowell, Robert Morley, Ruth Gordon, Scatman Crothers, James Coco, Cloris Leachman, Tony Randall, Vincent Price, Richard Mulligan, and Arnold Schwarzenegger even shows up in this thing. And, and, and if I can, let me because you know, James we, Coco, uh, J- Jimmy Coco, come on, and and, and and that's directed by Michael Schultz. Let me. Yeah. We don't talk about Michael Schultz, who's you know still around, been around a thousand I know. years. Still not. He needs to direct again. He he. Michael Schultz is. A African American director. All right. A lot of people who just don't happen to know yeah. him or pay attention or Car anything, wash. they hear that like goes back on you know, your, your coolie high. It's yeah. going, going. It's Michael Schultz. He has been this stalwart figure uh, for forty, maybe even fifty. This is nineteen. Yeah. Maybe even fifty years well, now. This this was the film when he transitioned out. Well, we we could say Car Wash was, but yeah. in many respects, this is the film when he transitioned away from black exploitation films into something more mainstream. It's just a, you know, it's he just was, he's was, been there was for years. I mean, Denzel Washington's first major film, Carbon Copy. That's right. Directed by Michael. That's right. Uh, and Michael's work works worse now. If, you, if you've watched Once Upon a Time or Grand, yeah, or, yeah, yeah Michael directs all the kind of stuff. So it's yeah. just, and, and, and just the fact that he, he and Ivan Dixon, you guys, Ivan. Yeah. Uh, uh, no, I think again, 30, 40. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta yeah. admit it now. It's 40 years ago. Wow. More than 40 years ago. Those two guys, I, I had a lot. I thought about the and black filmmakers. Because before them, the black filmmakers were thinking about the guys out of the race films, the Gaston yeah. Hill films, the sure. Martin films, all those right. kind of guys. And then, of course, we had uh, Mario's band. Yeah. Melvin. Uh, Melvin. Yeah. Uh, but you know, um, sort of work a day directly. Well, you know, Scavenger Hunt is basically uh, it's a mad, 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 mad world. Yeah. Is what it is. But it's a different take on it, and it's a, and it's terribly funny and really smart, and uh, it's it's great, and it's funny seeing Schwarzenegger in this thing in particular because it's very, very early in, in his career. Yeah, fantastic. And then uh, lastly, James Colburn in the Internecine Project. Yeah. Uh, you know, Colburn did a lot of kind of quasi-spy stuff, being a tough guy. And uh, this, is, this is one of them. It's not terribly great. It's early 70s. It dates a little bit. Um, but it's, it's still a fun film. And uh, Jonathan Lynn wrote it before he went on to, you know, do things like uh, Heart Like a Wheel and other, other things like that. So, um, you know, it's, it has a place in film history and it's worth checking out. So uh, if you're a James Coburn fan, definitely check it out. Uh, one of his uh, many secret agent, uh, low-level James Bond knockoffs, The Internecine Project. We'll see you next week. Bing, bing.